Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Little ones, you can go to Little Worship. And everybody else, you can, uh, if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 7, or you can find it in your bulletin. Did somebody say, hey, Dad? Uh, we're going to get to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in 30, uh, verse 36 in just a minute. Um, but I just want to remind us, over the last few weeks, we have been taught the... Uh, teachings of the kingdom. You know, Jesus taught what it was like to be one who was a part of his kingdom. And then the this section that we're currently in over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the people of the kingdom. Who is it? Who who are the people who are part of God's kingdom? And and we know that Jesus has completely turned people's thoughts upside down. Right? Because we find out in Luke 19 that, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Um, we know that He came not to call the righteous, but He came to call sinners to repentance. Um, we also hear Him say things like, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. And so we see Jesus calling sinners into the kingdom. And the reality is, like, when you read those passages, it's not, the point is not that there are some righteous and there are some sinners. All are sinners. The problem is, many people don't see their need. They don't see their need for Christ. They don't see themselves as sick. They don't see themselves as unrighteous. And so we're going to see that today. We're going to see what it's like in the lives of two people, one who does not see his need and another who sees her need and receives forgiveness. So, let's look at God's Word. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, and we'll go through verse 50. This is God's Word. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house And he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair on her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. And the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon answered, 
the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So right here, y'all, we, we've just read one of the greatest passages in, in all of Scripture. And it's about the greatest person in the world, Jesus. And it's dealing with the greatest problem that we have. Like, I know we've got a lot of things going on and they're real issues, but the greatest problem that we have or that people have is the fact that we owe a debt that we can't pay. There's no way to get out of it. And so I hope from this passage we'll see that Jesus cancels the debt for all those who come to Him by faith. And this produces love in the heart of the believer. And we're going to see this by focusing on three points this morning. First, the Pharisee who is blind to his debt. Then the notorious sinner who is debt free. And then at the end, we're going to look at Jesus, the only one who can deal with our debt. So first, the Pharisee who is blind to his own debt. So look with me in verse 36. We see one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he took his place at the table. And so you got to know a little bit about the context because when you read this, it seems kind of weird that you know, they're coming in and then this woman comes in and then she's at his feet. How does all this happen? Well, in those days, typically they would have a dinner in a courtyard so people could walk up and, and observe and, and be around while, they were, while the people that were invited to the party were feasting. And the best way that I could think of this was like the Christmas parade. You know, out here we have people who have a party and there may be like a certain invite list and they're partying in their courtyard, but you never know who's going to walk up at the Christmas parade, right? Anybody can walk up and see what's going on. So that's, that's the setting that we have, this courtyard setting. And then the, the, the people who were invited to the party who were eating, they would lay down on these couches, these short couches, and they'd lay on their left arm, eat with their right hand, and their feet would be facing outward. So just knowing a little bit about that may help us understand kind of what's going on. But that stuff, that, 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 those are just details about the situation Think of Jesus here. He showed no partiality. Jesus was known to be a friend of sinners, of tax collectors and sinners. And He was known to go dine with them. And many people called Jesus a drunkard and a glutton because He was dining with the dregs of society. 
And here you have a person who most likely made some comments about Jesus doing that. Here you have this person inviting Jesus to his house. And Jesus accepts the invitation. So we see that Jesus shows no partiality here. And, and you remember these Pharisees, they were known for being devoted to the law of Moses. They were devoted to the traditions of the elders. And they were known for separating themselves from lawbreakers. From those who were ceremonially unclean. And they had, they had hoisted up a bunch of arbitrary uh, uh, practices and standards about cleanliness. But this Pharisee invited Jesus to his home. And we see that a woman of the city comes to the party. And we're going to focus on her in a minute. But it's, it, we just need to know that this is the setting. Pharisee's house. Jesus accepts the invitation. And then this woman of the city comes in. And we're going to see her kind of disrupt the party, make quite a scene, crying at his feet, anointing his feet, kissing his feet. But we're going to focus on the Pharisee. Verse 39. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And so in this, we see, in this statement, we see that the Pharisee has great contempt for this woman, despises this woman, right? When he sees her, and he sees that she's touching Jesus, and Jesus isn't, isn't shooing her away, and so he's actually disgusted with Jesus, that Jesus wouldn't push her away. We also see his lack of love for Jesus, Sure, he invited Jesus to his home. That's nice. The conversation seems to be somewhat cordial at the dinner party. But inwardly, we know he's disgusted because it says it. He thought this to himself or he said this to himself. But we see his lack of love in verses 45 and 46 too. When he's compared with the lavish love of the woman, the Pharisee is actually not the gracious host the woman is. Because the Pharisee offered him no kiss. No greeting. Offered him no oil for his head and didn't offer to wash his feet. Those things were pretty customary back in those days. A greeting with a kiss. Oil for the head. And, and you, the host, or a servant of the host would take the sandals from the feet of those who had just traveled by foot and would wash their feet. But he didn't offer that to Jesus. And I think it's good at this point just to see that like this is a good picture of how many people in our day treat Jesus. You know, we, uh, we may have cordial conversation with Him or may even call Him a good teacher. You know, we don't have anything bad to say about Him. Um, but, but our lives are filled with these many external things, things that look good and religious, but there's no love for Christ. It's merely external we may, we may invite Jesus into like a little portion of our life, just a little bit, and kind of compartmentalize the faith. He can touch here and here, but can't come over here and deal with these things in my life. There's no love, no gratitude, no union with Him by faith at this point in this Pharisee. And when our vertical relationship with God is broken, it affects our horizontal relationships, right? Right? 
Paul Tripp always says that. When the vertical is, is, is off, the horizontal will be off. So we see his lack of love and his contempt for this woman. And he's become uh, fault-finding and harsh. And so we see what causes this? What is wrong with this man? And from the passage, we see he's blind to his debt. And when we're blind to our debt, we're blind to the glories of Christ. And we have 20-20 vision when it comes to the sins of other people. Blind to our debt, blind to the glories of Christ, and we can pick everybody else's sin up so easily. That's what this man was doing. And Jesus, the master teacher, is going to expose his heart. This is, y'all, this is mercy that he would do this for this man. He's telling the parable for this man to, to hear it. So we see him exposing his heart. And go verses 39 through 43. It says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to, them, said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who or what sort of woman this was touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. He is exposing Simon's heart. Simon has just said something to himself. If you go read the original language, he didn't say it out loud. Like he's saying it to himself. He's looking at Jesus and he's thinking to himself, if this man only knew, he wouldn't let her near him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be doing it. He's not a prophet. Could you imagine this situation? Old boy sitting there thinking that and all of a sudden he hears, hey Simon, you know, things escalated right there. Jesus just read uh, my heart. He, he knows what's going on inside of me. And so Jesus can read this Pharisee's heart. Not only does he know exactly who the woman is and what kind of woman she is and all of her sins, he knows exactly what kind of man Simon is. Jesus knows our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And then we see the patience of Jesus with Simon. He says he's got something to say to him. And then he tells him the parable. And, and the point in the parable is both of the people owe something that they can't pay. Both of them do. They could not pay it. And so Jesus is calling for Simon to do some self-examination and see, Simon, you owe a debt you can't pay. Just like this woman. Yet she's forgiven. And Jesus calls us to do some self-examination. And I was thinking of this. If we could just put ourselves in the situation of that party for a moment. You know, we think it could be Johnny and George Ann's. We're, we're out there partying it up, right? Having a good time. And you think of the, the biggest sinner that you know walking up. I mean, what would we do? Would we whisper, why are they here? Scowl. Give them the old snake eyes, you know? What are they doing here? Maybe we'd go get Johnny and Georgiana and say, hey, look, you've got to get this person out of here. They're a sinner. 
And as I was thinking through this, I was struck. How many of us, when we thought of that, thought of yourself as the biggest sinner that you know? And you may say, oh Josh, but I haven't, you, I haven't done this X, Y, Z. Look at, look at all this. You know every thought that you've ever thought and every deed that you've ever done. We individually are the biggest sinners that we know. Because we know everything about ourselves. Right? So, when we see ourselves rightly, it changes how we see Jesus. And it changes how we see other people. So let's look at someone who does see rightly. The notorious sinner who's debt free. So we saw in verses 37 and 38, it says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... You know, when she found out that Jesus was reclining at the house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. What a picture. Can you imagine this woman's life? Already in a culture where women are not viewed highly uh, in, in social standing, right? Like you've got to be connected to some family via a husband or um, a father and at this point, we don't know anything about this woman other than she's known all across town as an immoral woman. You think of this. Probably no hope for a family. Probably used and abused constantly. You know? Lonely. No true friend. Just making money. Living an immoral life. But something's happened to this woman. Think of the boldness and the bravery that it would take for her, a sinner known all across town, to walk up into a party of a Pharisee. And she walks into his household, or into the courtyard, and she's thrown out all social conventions here. She's here to worship Jesus, the one who forgives sin. She's here weeping at his feet. Her tears are probably a combination of grief and shame over what she's done in the past, mixed and mingled with joy over the fact that all those sins are gone and she has been cleansed. And she is here weeping. Not only that, she lets her hair down. That was not that that was un you, you didn't do that back in those days if you were a woman. You didn't let your hair down. She doesn't care. She's there to be with Jesus. Her eyes are on Him. He's the one who has cleansed her from her sin. And so she is there weeping at His feet. Wiping, her, wiping His feet with her hair. Her eyes are on the Savior. She's not worried about what other people think about her worship. And then she begins to kiss His feet. And I know that that seems kind of odd in, in, in our cultural context, but it would be common for someone to kiss the feet of rabbis. Like we see it in our culture today, people, people will kiss the ring of the Pope. The only one worthy of having their feet hand kissed is Jesus. And this is a great sign of humility. Great sign of humility in this woman. Also, it's a great sign of self-sacrifice. I mean, she had earned enough money to buy this expensive ointment. This wasn't just oil. It's a different word used here. He, told, he said, uh, Simon, you didn't even give me oil for my head. And he says, this woman put ointment on my feet. This is some expensive perfume. 
And so she's willing to pour out her prized ointment on the feet of Jesus. And in this, we see such a posture of humility and such a posture of self-sacrifice. And this is what it looks like to have debt-free living, to live in a relationship with Christ, a heart that is aflame with love for Him, a posture of humility, and then being willing to give up our most prized earthly possessions for Christ. J.C. Ryle when speaking about this passage, and I don't want to lose anybody in the middle, so please listen all the way through. Um, it's not too long. But J.C. Ryle said, more doing for Christ is the universal demand of all the churches. It's the one point on which we are all agreed, all desire to see among Christians more good works, more self-denial, more practical obedience to Christ's commands. But what will produce these things? He says nothing. Nothing but love. And there will, there will be no more done for Christ until there's more hearty love to Christ Himself. And I know we all know these things. And you're probably like, thanks a lot, Josh, for coming here this morning and you telling me that I need to do more and love Jesus more. Thanks a lot. I'm barely hanging on. The embers are burning out. And I can't muster up love. So what produces love for Christ? What produced the lavish love that we see in this woman? And it's the fact that your sins have been forgiven. A realization that your sins have been forgiven. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, he says, for the love of Christ compels us. Not his love for Christ, but Christ's love for him fueled his love. The love of Christ compels us. And so we see in the parable, Jesus tells the Pharisee that the one who has been forgiven much, loves much. And then we see in verse 44, then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins are forgiven, which are many, they're forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So I think it's helpful, real quick, to clear something up. In verse 47. You know, I like the ESV for the most part. It's, it, it's the translation that I use a lot. But, but I think in this verse, in verse 47... It gives the impression that she was forgiven because she loved much. If you're reading the ESV. And then other translations as well. Um, but Phil Riken, in his Reformed expository commentary, he said, you know, this verse is used by the Roman Catholic Church to argue that justification is not by faith alone, but by love combined with faith. That's a, that's a game changer. This is not what this verse is saying. 
It's not saying that she was forgiven because she loved much. Because if you read through the passage, it's through faith and faith alone. Verses 47 through 49, it says your faith has saved you. And three times Jesus tells her she's forgiven. And in the original language, it's in the perfect tense, which means it's a past action, which is, it has ramifications for the present. So she was already forgiven before she even came to the house. So why does he keep saying, you're forgiven? You're forgiven. Go in peace. Are we not so frail and so forgetful that we need to constantly be reminded that we're forgiven? This woman came in forgiven, and yet Jesus says three times, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, go in peace. Our God is so merciful and gracious to us that he's given us a word that we see all these great promises, all these reminders that our sins have been atoned for, and we are forgiven if our faith is in Christ. A better translation, I think, of this verse, the Holman Standard and and the NIV translate it like this. Therefore, I tell you, her her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And so my question to you is, how, how is your love for Christ at the moment? You know, is it Is it dwindling? Are you barely hanging on? Right? You've got to remember, He's hanging on to you. We're reminded of that week after week. It's not the strength of our weak faith that we muster up and and we're just clinging to Him, hoping He doesn't leave us. It's actually Him in His sovereign grip that has you. And He's laid hold of you. And because he's laid hold of you, he says, lay hold of me. So if you're struggling, constantly weighed down with a feeling of guilt and shame, remember, if your faith is in Jesus, you've been cleansed. You have been cleansed. If your faith is in Christ, he has declared you righteous. A declaration has been made, righteous. Not just forgiven, righteous. He has declared you righteous like this woman. You could be known all around town about your former ways and and your life, your sinful life, but if you've come to Christ in repentance and faith, you're spotless. And this leads us to our last point. Who is this Jesus that this woman believes in? Who is this Jesus that she's received by faith? The one who inflames her heart to love. Who is this one who forgives sin? And as we've already seen, Jesus is one who shows no partiality. Pharisee, tax collector, He will meet you. And He'll teach you. And He'll save you. You know, I want to add here, there's, there's hope for old Simon I wanted to remind you, as I was reading for this, uh, Richard Baucom, he's a New Testament scholar, he said, when you read the Gospels and you see someone's name mentioned, it's not just the Pharisee, but Simon the Pharisee, most likely they were one of the eyewitnesses that came around and joined the movement. 
Who knows, Luke could have interviewed him for this portion. We don't know that, but his name is used, and it's very important that when you see a name, that's telling you something. But back to, back to the point. Jesus here, he shows no partiality. He saves the Pharisee, he'll save the tax collector, right? He's the king of kings, the one who is anointed with the ointment. This woman anoints him, he's the only one worthy of anointing. He is the king of kings. He doesn't shoo the woman away. He's patient with her. He's the true prophet who knows your heart and my heart. He knew Simon's and the woman. The true prophet. The true king. He's the good and patient teacher that's willing to bear with Simon and his, his foolishness. He's willing to bear with the, tax, I mean, with the, with the sinful woman. And He's willing to bear with all of us. With our many questions and our wanderings. So we see all these great attributes of Jesus. And there are many more things that could be said. The Scriptures say if, if, if John had written all the things that took place, like no book could contain everything that Jesus has done. And we can sit here every week and talk about the excellencies of Christ, but Paul says you'll never reach the foothills of the excellencies of Christ. Never. Okay? And so we see all these great attributes and then some, but what, what good does this do us in our sin? See, in the parable, Jesus is the moneylender. The one to whom the debt is owed is the triune God. And that's actually, that can be a, a, a terrifying thing, and let me explain. It's amazing to think of having any debt just, just cleansed and wiped away, right? But when we're dealing with God, you know the old philosophical conundrum, is there anything that God cannot do? God cannot deny Himself. God cannot lie. So God cannot deny Himself. He cannot just sweep our debt under the rug. It's not just like He goes, okay, forgiven, nobody's going to pay for that. Somebody has to eat the debt. Somebody has to eat it. Right? And even when you look at, at debt forgiveness here, like if, if a business owner says, you're, you're cleared, that business owner eats it. Here, it's, it's even way more. Right? Somebody has to deal with this debt because God cannot deny Himself. He's a holy and righteous and just God and He must punish sin because it goes against His nature and His glory. And I know we know these things, but we need to be reminded. So what makes Jesus an unparalleled moneylender that forgives, a debt cleanser, if you will. And if you would, I know this may just kind of break us up a little bit here, but if you would open up the Scriptures, I want you to see it. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. How does Jesus take our debts? How does God deal with our debts? And so in verse, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, sums it up. 
He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He, has pa- he had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So in this passage, we see that our sins are not simply swept under the rug, but that God is just in dealing with our sin. And it's because your Savior, my Savior, lived for you and died for you. And He really took your sin. Not this nebulous idea of sin. Sin is not some abstract thing like your sin. He took it upon Himself and He took the punishment for it. That doesn't make us want to go live lives of license and just do whatever we want. That that inflames our hearts to love Christ because He's done this for us. God is just. And the justifier in Christ, He paid for our sin. He paid for for the many sins of that woman. So knowing these truths, they ought to fan fan into flame the faint embers of love in our hearts. We've got to ask, are we living debt-free lives? Or do we live as if we've owed no debt? Are we living debt-free lives that are marked by love and affection for Christ? Humility and self-sacrifice, not to earn His love, but because we've already been loved. So, we ought to pray, like David did in Psalm 51, for God to restore to us the joy of His salvation, that we would teach transgressors His ways. And I'm going to end with another quote from J.C. Ryle, who wrote the, the, the gold standard book on holiness. He says, the only way to make men and women holy and love Christ is to teach and preach full and free forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And so this woman, that's what she had received. She was forgiven. She was cleansed of all of her sin. And this caused her to worship and to love Jesus. And this sent her to his feet in worship. Let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you, thank you for this word. Thank you for the reminder of um, thank you for the reminder of your forgiveness and your patience with sheep, wandering sheep, sinful people. Lord, and, and help us to, to, to realize like what a great price has been paid on our behalf. Lord. Help us to all know your love for us and may that fuel our love for you 
and for others. May the love of Christ compel us. Because we've concluded this, one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.